0: Welcome to the Proper Lookout podcast. In this series, our CTP experts will discuss a range of topics, sharing their thoughts on an industry trend or an intriguing legal issue, explaining the intricacies of an important case, and hopefully imparting some of the knowledge that they have gained.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Proper Lookout podcast. This is Peter Hunt. And today I have a terrific guest, Professor Joe Sutty, Joe's a physician. He's a cardiologist. He's the Dean of Notre Dame Regional Medical School. He's got degrees in medicine, science, surgery, philosophy, and law. Honours from Cambridge, a doctorate in medicine from Oxford. And he's both researched and taught at UNSW, Notre Dame, Cambridge, Harvard, and Oxford. He's the, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, Nuffield Fellow. Have I got that right, Joe?
0: That sounds good. Yeah.
1: And is there anything I left out?
0: No, no, no. I think that's pretty good.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's an incredible resume. And as I said to you privately, I'm very impressed.
0: (laughs) Oh, no, no. Too kind.
1: Well, welcome today. It's great to have you on board. Our discussion is the general topic of artificial intelligence. Perhaps we can start by just, if you can outline where your interest in AI began.
0: Yeah, it's a great question. Obviously, AI is a sort of catchphrase label has been around since the 50s and 60s, all the great 1950s sci-fi movies. Um, (laughs) I particularly became interested in it working on some of the research into genetics. So when the Human Genome Project kicked off in 2000 and huge amounts of data, um, huge sequencing data from genetic disease came online, we had to look at amazing sort of statistical models, which were more than what a normal person could grasp. So simple risk factors, say in cardiovascular disease, like smoking or diabetes had a lot of signal and were very clear and we could understand risk and simple, really striking risk factors. But we found with a lot of human diseases, it wasn't just one factor. There were thousands of factors that operate in different ways in different people and in different populations. And it becomes beyond the immediate grasp with these very large databases, very large volumes of information. It's harder to just look at one or two sort of we'd say Cartesian factors. We have to look at multiple factors interacting in different ways in different people. So that then pivoted my work in my doctoral work was looking at very large data sets for imaging. So huge amounts right. of information we get now from cardiac CT and cardiac MRI across lots of inherited models for heart disease and heart failure. And we started looking at these models on a scale that is difficult to comprehend without really powerful machines with very powerful statistical models giving us new insights. For example, you can look at very large databases. One of the commonest tests you can do around the world in medicine is a heart scan to see whether or not you've got any early warning signs of, of coronary disease, so blocked arteries. Right. Yeah. and What happens, for example, one of the interesting AI applications that I worked on is you can take a picture of the heart and it could be taken anywhere around the world. And this is the commonest scan you can perform in this developed world, see whether or not you have heart disease. Mm. And this volume of scans, for example, we test AI applications on how you can identify anatomically all the vessels in the heart or small early tumors in the lungs, which pop up incidentally. And it can be used to highlight and also to highlight things that a clinician might sort of skim over or to also make it more efficient in their workload to have all of the anatomical structures already sort of replicated. Now, this is obviously raises the question of well, really how are we defining AI? So yeah. some people label everything as AI, like is, is you know, uh, statistics and fast computers, does that constitute AI? And there are a few different definitions for that. The classic one is the so-called Turing test. So to do something which looks intelligent, which has the appearance of a human doing it. So it's indistinguishable, whether it's a conversation or a computer yeah. test or something like reading a scan, right. is that indistinguishable from the way a human does it? And certainly the ability to just present a picture of the human body and to automatically identify all the structures with variations is something which actually AI has a pretty good at um, crack at. So,
1: yeah, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, that's a fascinating um, outline. You've got an interest in AI when it comes to autonomous vehicles as well. So perhaps we mm. could um, go there for a moment. Where did that interest start and how does it apply?
0: Oh, uh, look, it's amazing. I mean, when you talk about rural health, yeah. most people instantly start thinking about sheep and chickens and cows and things like that. <laughs> but of course, it's not actually the brown snakes which kill the most number of people um, in uh, rural communities. Mm. It's Still chronic disease, like early detection of cardiovascular disease, particularly in, say, Indigenous Australian populations, but also things like the road toll. So one of the highest priorities we have for rural health, rural public health, is looking at how do we make roads safer? And it's also particularly relevant in Australia when we are dealing with scales of distance, which affect everything from health equity to access to results, which are just beyond the scale of a lot of other developed nations. So it's incredible. We can have these fantastic systems and we should be harnessing all the advantages, say e-health, harnessing all the advantages of really fantastic digital coverage across a huge continent. That should be one of our greatest opportunities. And yet we still have a way to go to address that gap. Now, in one of the priorities in our rural curriculum is explicitly stated, we have to look at what affects road safety. And that is going to be very much, and I think probably everyone's experienced this, when you're driving along a motorway and there's a a very large VW or a, a road train coming down, that is um, a really, in terms of our risk, that's one of the highest sort of risks that we face in a, a developed economy. And the question is, Overseas already, those um, vehicles are already autonomous vehicles, and we have to harness the safety while trying to grapple with this concept of risk when looking at autonomous vehicles.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That imagery you just gave me of the um, the road train when I drive in the mm. country and there's a big um, truck coming towards me on a sweeping bend, it does yeah. strike me that it, I'm hoping that both I and the other driver. adhere to the yellow line in the middle of the road, because if either of us don't, we're in trouble, (laughs) to say the least.
0: Right, and isn't it amazing? A small part of that is an AI problem, but the other problem is humans understanding risk. We almost expect to live in a zero-risk environment. We've sort of come to expect that standard, yet philosophically and even legally, I mean, this is almost the um, the embodiment of positive law is like the question about do we drive on the left or the right. There are certain basic... (laughs) sort of questions about what's determined by law and then how that links to choices and how we understand risk when we also design vehicles. And this goes back to really interesting questions that are really um, interdisciplinary. You need to have an engineer to do the coding, but the engineer will ask, well, where do we calibrate the risk here? What's an acceptable tolerance for this system? Where do we set decision-making when we look at what rules we expect autonomous vehicles to follow. And that's the really interesting thing that we're working on.
1: Yeah, I understand you've been looking at some large data sets in, from the US.
0: Exactly. So there are already um, now data sets which have um, thousands of vehicle accidents which involve autonomous vehicles, which is not to say they've always been caused by autonomous vehicles. The general finding, to simplify it, is that where all the conditions are are intact, so there's good that the roads actually match the data sets. So the road mapping is accurate, where the conditions are good driving conditions and where the other vehicles driven by humans act in a legal and safe way, then autonomous vehicles are undoubtedly safer. Autonomous vehicles don't fall asleep. They don't um, experiment with um, stimulant drugs. They don't uh, you know, get on their iPhone and get distracted. So autonomous vehicles in that sense are absolutely undoubtedly safer. But the real question comes up, well, what happens Mm. when those systems aren't quite right? We've had classic early cases where very large semi-trailers got stuck in small English laneways because the roads weren't right and didn't capture what (laughs) was actually on the ground. We've had plenty of cases where erratic human drivers break the laws, and it's not clear for the safety algorithms whether the autonomous vehicle should simply continue to follow the regulation to the T or anticipate stressful situations. And this raises the, um the 10 car ahead of you problem. So humans are actually quite good at not just following what is the immediate problem with the car in front, but also anticipating a sense that there's some change in the pattern of behavior, 10 cars down the road. Whereas a lot of yeah. our current first generation autonomous vehicles are excellent at say automatic parking. Or working out the proximity and the distance the vehicle in front and instituting braking but very poor at anticipating that there might be an accident 100 meters down the road and plenty of people are stopping to rub a neck or doing yeah. some unusual out of pattern behavior which then causes say sudden stopping or people suddenly breaking lane rules that's a really interesting almost legal philosophical question about how we tell the autonomous vehicles to anticipate or respond when other people are breaking the rules.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, the um, example which comes to my mind is if I'm driving along, I can potentially see a pedestrian, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 metres away, you know, approaching at speed, obviously going to cross the road in my path. Would an autonomous vehicle have the same kind of capacity to see that happening before it happens?
0: Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? And the short answer is if you calibrate the sensitivity of your detection to pick that up a long way in advance, then you're also going to pick up a lot more what we call false positives. So if you set the safety limits to be absolutely safe, to detect some unusual behaviors, sort of a hundred meters away from the vehicle or further down, sort of outside cars, so outside normal electronic regulations. Then you're also going to pick up a lot of um, trees that are suddenly blowing in the wind. Mm-hmm. You're going to pick up a lot of, um, you know, in the country, you might pick up the fact that there's a, a cow standing in the paddock watching you. But the ability to really accurately detect that is going to be have like all medical tests. Really, it's going to be a or we call a sensitivity specificity problem. You can set the test that it's perfectly safe, and you'll pick up an enormous number of false positives. That's going to be a, a really difficult question to manage.
1: Well, using the the tree waving in the wind example, if a vehicle detected that, could it potentially just stop in the middle of the road for no apparent reason to anybody else and cause an accident that way?
0: Absolutely, and or it might have a pre-programmed response that if it falsely detects that there's a an unusual movement hmm. by a human, which is actually a waving tree down the road, yeah. um, the algorithm might specify brake or actually pull off to the road immediately and. In some cases, safely crash into the nearest inanimate object. That could be a, a could be, for example, if you set the calibration to be avoid the loss of life and under all costs, but stop into an inanimate object. Then that, in some cases, can be a one of the safer algorithms, it, we often talk about this as the trolley car example. So a philosopher Philip Perfoot said, what happens if you've got a trolley car and you've only got two options going down where there's a one person on one track or two on the other? How do you decide what the least worst option is? And mm. one of the options is, of course, well, is there an option to simply derail the trolley car and drive into the side of the wall? <laughs> That's one of the proposed mechanisms for accepting that damage to property is still sort of infinitely preferable to damage to life. And so that hmm. might be one of the algorithms that comes into play, but also an admission that you might think that you're going into an inanimate object like a brick wall, yeah. but you then have to consider what's the risk that there's something on the other side of the wall you can't see. Um, yeah. Wow. What are the it's other implications? Yeah. Right. That sort of question will people say, well, I want evidence. I want to see what happens here. And so, this is why looking at very large data sets might give us insights into what the least worst responses are when you're in that pre accident scenario. Then, of course, there's a fantastic question for lawyers about where does liability stop and start? And um, that's a really interesting question for lawyers, for insurers. And uh, there's going to have to be a sort of process of social consensus about where that or what kind of package that looks like and an admission that our goal should be safer but it's never going to be 100% or absolutely safe.
1: Absolutely I think discussion about legal liability is probably for another day because that's yeah. <laughs> the fascinating topic to do with um yeah. how you define the driver whether it's product liability etc mm-hmm. etc cetera, et cetera. but let's not go there. Yeah. Back to AI and autonomous vehicles the classic mm-hmm. problem we always hear about in legal seminars and the like is Sometimes when you're driving and you see an accident about to happen, the best way to protect yourself is to speed up. It happens occasionally, but that means breaking the speed limit. Is that something which AI can
0: accommodate? Yeah, look, the most striking data that comes out from the initial sort of pilot research, and this on one set level seems sort of facile, is that the strongest predictor for an accident is not speed The strongest predictor is proximity. So there's a constant focus on the speed at which cars were driving or being in particular areas. But the one thing that, for example, that autonomous vehicles are much better at is setting a safe distance between the vehicle in front and behind. So the classic scenario is everyone's driving 100 kilometres an hour. But if people are tailgating, that's a much higher risk environment than if someone is a hundred meters apart, but they're going at 110 or 115 kilometers an hour. And that question about avoidance with flow of traffic rather than doing something abrupt or sudden, for example, suddenly braking to be under the speed limit or to respond to something can, if the vehicle behind you is very proximate to you, be much more dangerous than actually having the flow of traffic and anticipating a problem. So that, that's a really, really good point. And I think in, for example, road public health messaging, there's obviously a really important need to focus on speed, but actually the strongest predictor is proximity to objects. Yeah. Okay. Fascinating.
1: Well, thanks, Joe. I really enjoyed that discussion. Yes. As I said, I want to fly, the fly it's, it's a minefield, some of the uh, issues which I hadn't heard about before. So we just see
0: how well, I've, I it feel develops. we've just yeah we've just dipped our toe in it it'll be great to do it again
1: yeah absolutely you've got a date put it in your diary we'll definitely come back and have, a,
0: have another <laughs> discussion
1: about this and similar issues <laughs>
0: fantastic but
1: fantastic. yeah for now I thank you very much for your your time and um, for t- participating in this episode of the Proper Lookout podcast thanks very
0: much brilliant cheers thanks a lot thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Proper Lookout podcast we hope you enjoyed it